Let us uh, pray together as we prepare to get into God's Word. Lord, thank You for Your faithfulness, Jesus. We uh, are in awe, Lord, of how wonderful You are. Uh, God, when we're not faithful, <laughs> You remain faithful. And Lord, we know that there are, are trials and there's times and there's difficulties. And there's moments where uh, we just feel overwhelmed. But Lord, You know everyone's heart here. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to each one of those hearts truth through your word this morning. Uh, the empowering, the, the boldness, the encouragement that you give us uh, through Jesus, your son, our redeemer, our savior, uh, through the life of Paul. And we pray this in, in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, in 2005, I had an opportunity to, to go to India uh, I was working on my master's in, in counseling, and part of my assignment was that I needed to get so many uh, clinical hours, and so I wanted to do something abroad. So I went to India to spend 70 days there. And while I was there, um, I kind of showed up. There was a, an organization that I was going to be working with that was going to send me to a, different, a couple of different places, a Christian organization, that worked really closely with the Hindu psychiatric unit. And so they would send me to these different units. They had, they had 12 different units all over uh, Tamil Nadu, which is a southern state in, in India. And we would go all the way down to the very point of India in a little state called uh, Cape Kinakomari. Uh, that's southern. I don't even know if I'm saying that right or not, but that's the way I read it. Uh, and so I remember getting to my agenda and thinking that I would be visiting the psychiatric units one day, and then one day I'd actually end up going to these fishing villages uh, to where there were no psychiatric units. It was just there to go and, and, and pray and be a witness uh, to some of these families that had lost everyone in the, the tsunami that happened in 2005. And so, uh, actually 2004, I guess, was the tsunami. We went a year later. And when I would show up, I never knew what to expect. I never knew what I was getting myself into. I would always have a little guy about this tall that was a pastor that was my translator. I would greet people and he would talk for 30 minutes and I would assume that he just said hello, but he was saying a lot more every time. It was always one of those situations you're like, how did I get here? What, what, is, what is happening? And I remember going and getting my agenda for the day and they said we're going to go to Cape Kinnamarumari and we're going to go to a fishing village that was a refuge for the, the uh, families that had been flooded out. And so we go into the fishing village and I walk into this, this little plastic stick-built tent and there's a family in there, and this lady that's very sweet, very broken. And there was this gentleman that looked nothing like the rest of the fishing village. He had a very nice shirt on and, and um, uh, really nice slacks and nice shoes. And I was like, this guy doesn't belong in the fishing village. He's an Indian, but he's not uh, one of the, the natives here. And so I don't really get to know who this guy is, but I'm standing here, and we're, we're meeting this family, and we're hearing how we can pray. And so we end up praying and this man comes over and he looks at me in broken English and says, will you pray for me? And so I, I pray for him. And then we leave and we go to the next tent. And I look to the, my interpreter and said, who is who's that guy? And he's like, I'm not exactly sure. What I could pick up on is that he was planning on destroying the village and putting some sort of resort here. And uh, he wanted you to pray for wisdom for him. It's just kind of one of those moments where you're like, how did I get here? How did I get in front of this person that has this kind of authority to, to really change a lot of people's lives? 
And God allowed me to be in this little plastic tent in the middle of Kinnikomarie with this man that could affect all their lives. And how do I get a chance to pray that God would give them wisdom? And so today's text, we're going to look at a situation where Paul, the apostle, is in front of a king in Palestine. This, this one pharisaical man that used to persecute Christians, really not anybody, anybody in Rome, is now has made his way through these ranks, is going to sit in front of a king, and is going to bear witness to the king. How does that happen? How do we in our lives sometimes get put in situations where we're like, how in the world did I get here? What are you doing? And some of us look at it and say, I feel like I'm on a, uh, a detour. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. Or we can look at through the lens that Paul looks at life through and says, God is in control of all of this and he's got me here for a purpose. And so that's kind of the thesis of today is that we're going to walk through. We're actually going to go through chapter 24, 25, and 26. So about 2 o'clock we should be done. Um, but I'm going to try to summarize and, t- and kind of storytell and get to the point at the end. But the question is how? And in Luke 21, that Everett read to us, it says that, But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. So you ask the question, how does Paul, a Roman citizen, a Jew, get in front of a king in Palestine? Well, it's because that Jesus spoke it into fulfillment, into his existence. He said, this is going to happen. This is the first disciple that we see that gets this opportunity to bear witness in front of governors and kings. So that's the lens in which we are going to view Paul's story here, is that God is navigating his life every step of the way. So in chapter 23, we see that, that Paul is in Jerusalem. Uh, he's arrested in Jerusalem there. He's being held captive uh, by uh, the, the rulers there. They want to make sure that, that, uh, that he's given a trial. People are asking the question, well, why is Paul there in Jerusalem? Um, we're not, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. But he's, he's being accused of being a pest. And so he's arrested for being a pest. Has anyone ever been a pest in your life before, right? A lot, a lot. And your kids, you know, right. Um, he's distru- disrupting the temple. And so his accusers are saying, look, he's being annoying to me. He's disrupting things. He's being a pest. We need to put him in jail. And so he gets arrested in hopes that they would transfer him from one spot to another spot. And in the, the, the commute, there's this angry mob of Jewish leaders that have now come and they said, you know what, we're going to kill Paul when they transfer him. And so a relative of Paul hears about this angry mob and he goes to the authorities and says, hey, there's an angry mob and they're planning on killing Paul when you transfer him for his trial. And so the tribunal says, okay, well, we can't let that happen. He has to have a fair trial. And so they assign 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. Okay, like 470 pieces of arm power to make sure that Paul is not going to be persecuted or or, or captured and killed, which means that the mob must have been large if if they're planning on close to 
excuse me, 500 people being there to, to protect him. So he's escorted, uh, he's escorted out of Jerusalem and he's escorted into Caesarea. All right, so that puts us into chapter 24. Paul arrives safely in Caesarea, where immediately we see five to 12 days later, he's in front of uh, Felix, which is the governor. And a lawyer by the name of uh, Tertullus is going to pitch the, the case in front of Governor Felix. He's the one that's standing in for the Jewish leader saying, this is why we're accusing this man. So Felix asks the questions, what is he accused of? And he says, well, he's being a pest. Tertullus accuses him of four things. One, being a pest. Two, being a political agitator. Three, being a leader of a sectarian movement. And four, he was disturbing the temple. And so there's no evidence, there's not a whole lot of detail that we see even in the story of Tertullus accusing Paul for what he's what he's doing. The biggest thing is that Paul is actually going outside of Judaism and he's and he's extending the gospel. He's extending who God is to those who are outside of Judaism. He's extending who God is, this this precious Jewish only God to the Gentiles. And so the Jewish leaders are saying, nope, that's not cool. Now you're disturbing the law, you're disturbing the, the temple, you're being a pest, you've got to stop. And so they try to, of course, build this case against them. So let's go back. Why was Paul in Jerusalem in the first place? Why was, he, why was he arrested in the first place? Well, we see that it's been about five years since Paul had been in Jerusalem. And Paul was a good Jewish man. He followed the law. And so he shows up in Jerusalem, and what he does is that he's heading towards the temple. And it says that while he's heading towards the temple, he's worshiping God. He's following the Jewish law. And he's got a bag of money that he's going to the temple to give as an offering, to give alms to the temple. And the Jewish leaders see that he's worshiping God, and they don't see that he's following the Jewish law, and they don't even care about his money and they say, this guy is a pest, let's arrest him. And so he's arrested. And Felix is going, wait a second, you're going to arrest this guy. You're accusing this man because he's worshiping God, the God that you believe in. Right? He's, he's bringing you guys money, which you're going to benefit from as the leaders in the temple. Right? And he's following your law to the T. He's not doing anything that's outside of the Jewish law. I don't get it. I have nothing to arrest him with. I have nothing to charge him with. So Felix says, all right, well, I'm going to wait for the tribune to come, and I'm going to let them look at this case because it doesn't make any sense. Let's go put him in holding, and we'll wait. So a couple days later, Felix and his wife go and talk to Paul. And Paul does exactly what we read earlier in Luke 21, is that he presents the gospel. He bears witness to Jesus Christ in front of a governor and his wife. And he explains to them who Jesus is and what happened to him. He explains his story on the road to Damascus. He explains to them that, that Jesus is, is alive. He's resurrected. We killed him, but now he's alive. And he looks at them and says, do you guys get this? And it says that, that, they, were, that they were shaken, that they were alarmed by this truth. And Felix says to him, I wanted you to stay here and, and I'll call for you when I need you. And it goes on to tell us that, that Felix would go and he would have several more conversations with Paul, probably about Jesus. We don't know if Felix was ever uh, converted, ever a believer or not, but he's fulfilling. We know that Paul's fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus, 
that you're going to be persecuted. You're going to bear witness in front of the Jewish leaders, in front of governors, in front of kings. And so that takes us to verse 20, uh, chapter 25. So this, we're seeing how the, the journey to Rome is, is what we're going to see because we see that in Acts, um, no, sorry, yeah, we'll get that in just a second. Uh, that in Acts 23, when Paul was spoken to by the Lord, he says, you're going to go to Rome and you're going to bear witness. So we see the journey is continuing. Paul sits in prison for two years. The exchange of the governor changes. It goes from Governor Felix to a man named Governor Festus. Now, a lot of commentaries would read and, and scholars say that, that Felix was kind of an, an evil man, but we see that he was, had the attention of Paul, where Festus was a kind man, a good man, a fair man for his first several years as governor. And so the, the change uh, occurs. Festus is now the new governor, and the Jewish leaders two years later come, comes back to Festus and says, hey, can we try Paul again? We want this man dead and so festus says yeah i'll have a trial but the guys want to take him back to jerusalem because they made a plan that when they transfer him again they're going to ambush and they're going to kill paul so for some reason festus says no he cannot go back to jerusalem he'll stay here in caesarea and he'll be tried in front of me so paul calls him in I mean, uh, Festus calls him in. He denies the fact that they're, or the request to send him to Jerusalem. Paul gives a brief defense in front of Festus. He says, I'm innocent of all these charges. I was, I was faithful to the Jewish law, and I was faithful to the Roman law. There's no case here, but I appeal to Caesar. Now, a lot of scholars think that Paul didn't know what he's saying as far as being a Roman citizen and saying that phrase. But if you're a prisoner and you are... Uh, in front of a governor and you appeal to Caesar, then that that appeal cannot be retracted. Now you must go in front of Caesar. And so they're in Palestine somewhere and they got to go all the way to Rome. Right? They're going to have to cross over the water to get to Rome. And now that he's appealed to Caesar, it's it's set. The only problem is that Festus has nothing to write about to accuse uh, Paul of any of these crimes. And Festus is sitting there scratching his head and says, what do I do? And so he calls in a friend, King Agrippa. King, will you come and will you hear this man's case? He's a Roman citizen. He's now appealed to Caesar. And we we need to write something. We need to write some sort of accusation that this man has done something wrong that we can put in front of Caesar. So how do we know that Paul is staying the course? We go back to Acts 23. 11. It says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have, have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. I don't think Paul knows how he's going to get to Rome. I don't think he's, he's sitting there going, oh, I got this perfect plan. I think he probably woke up and said, all right, well, I'm Acts 23, two years ago. Now it's my time to go to Rome and I'm going to start my journey that way. And he goes to Jerusalem to, bear, bear, uh, to give alms and he gets arrested and this journey begins. And so we see him now. He's in front of Festus, the governor, and now he's calling in King Agrippa. What's happening? Luke 21 is being fulfilled right in front of us. So Festus knew that if we're going to send Paul in front of Caesar, we're going to have to write some sort of accusations. Right now, he's been accused of disturbing 
the temple. He stayed in prison because he talked to a governor and shared Jesus. And the governor was shaken and said, we're going to stay and we're going to talk more about this. And then they realized that there's an angry mob that wants to kill him. So we're going to keep him in prison to protect him. Then King Agrippa is now invited into the story. King Agrippa comes from a line of men that have been persecuting Christians for three generations. King Agrippa's great-grandfather tried to kill babies when Jesus was born, Jesus being one of those babies. His grandfather was the one that beheaded John the Baptist. His father was the one that killed the first apostle, James. And now, King Agrippa is standing in front, or Paul is standing in front of King Agrippa, thinking, are you going to have favor? Are you going to hear, hear my case? And that takes us to chapter 26. Paul knows that the king is there. He's there to make decisions. That's his call. Has you been called in to not pass the baton to someone else? But you've been called to make a, a, a decision. What is my accusation? Paul knows that King Agrippa is going to be in the decision-making mood. So watch what happens in chapter 26. Paul gives his formal defense. All right, it looks kind of like this. He gives a kind remark to Agrippa. Oh, so and so, you look so nice today. I'm glad to be in your presence. Give me honorable, give me honor with your with your presence. And then Paul discusses his own Jewish life, and then he speaks of his pers- of the persecution of Christians and his life and the conversion on the road to Damascus. And then he closes with his theology and hope that's rooted in the suffering of the Messiah. He keeps the religious dimensions in front of him, and he shows that King Agrippa, there's no civil case here. All right? So let's walk through those four things real briefly. Paul discusses his own Jewish life. He looks at these men. Now, when King Agrippa shows up in the room, he, can't, he comes with an entourage. All right? So it's not just King Agrippa and Governor Festus. We're talking about all the bigwigs in Palestine are going to be coming in with King Agrippa to, to listen to how he's going to make this decision. They're learning from him. Some of them are his disciples. They're trying to learn. They're trying to climb the ladder in the government system as well. So there's going to be a room full of powerful people and Paul. And so Paul starts talking to King Agrippa, but he is aware of his audience. And he's sitting there saying, I too was once a Jewish boy. And I grew up and I abided by the law and I studied the law and I knew the law. My life was as a Jewish man. I read the Old Testament just like I, you've read the Old Testament. I've studied the prophets just like you've studied the prophets. And so he's, he's building his case of like, I've lived the Jewish life. I am just like you guys. But then, Paul talks about this time on this road to Damascus. He says, but I was going and I was going to persecute Christians. I was going to, to put a stop to what Jesus has started that was my call as, as a Pharisee, as a, as a Roman soldier, is to put a stop to this Christianity movement. And I was on my road to Damascus. My plan wasn't to run into this, this light, but this light met me there and it knocked me and my, 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 my soldiers off our horses and we were blinded by this light. And I saw Jesus where they saw the light. I saw Jesus. And he tells King Agrippa details about that moment. When he met Jesus and he looks at him, he's like, what do I do with that king? I've seen Jesus. 
I've seen that he's alive, that he's resurrected. I can't just ignore that and continue to go and persecute Christians. I've seen the truth. What do you do with the truth? King, tell me. I must, I'm being, I'm being faithful to the vision. God, the same God that you worship, that I worship, that everyone in this room worships, He sent this vision to me through His Son, Jesus, on the road to Damascus. What should I do with this except for obey? And then He starts talking about Jesus. And He shifts the focus. The one that we've all been waiting for, y'all. He's talking to the Jewish leaders. The one that, the Messiah that we're all expecting to come and rescue us. He has come. And his name is Jesus. And we killed him. We put him on a cross. We hung him there. We put him in a grave. And now he's resurrected and he's alive. And I saw him. And I don't know what to do with that except for to worship him and to tell other people about his story. And so I share my story in front of you today, King Agrippa. That you may encounter the living God that I've encountered on the road to Damascus. And he's sharing his testimony with them. And at that point, he looks at, Festus, he looks at King Agrippa and says, Do you believe? And Festus stands up and says, Paul, you're mad. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. All your fancy learning has, has driven you out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. Why would Festus say that? Well, he's a prisoner. He's in chains. But he's extremely happy. Right? He believed that God raised a man from the dead and is alive. Paul spoke about a vision that he saw of God. Paul was more concerned about their freedom from darkness than his own chains. And he had hoped that the Gentiles would know the same. And so Festus stands and says, man, you're crazy. All these things, you're just showing to everybody that you're crazy. These things that, that you're telling us and the story that you're breaking down, it only would prove that you're mad. Right? But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, The message of the cross will seem foolish to those who are perishing. And so Festus, not knowing what Paul knows or seeing through the lens that Paul is seeing life, is like, man, you must be foolish. And then we see, that Paul looks at Agrippa and he says, For the king knows about these things. In verse 26. And he, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things will escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. He looks at the king and says, Make a decision. That's why you're here today. You may have thought you've come to find out why I'm guilty, but you're here to make decisions. Will you make a decision today? Do you believe in the prophets? The things that you and I have learned about our entire life. Do you believe that all the prophets were talking about the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for? Will you believe that He has come? That He came in the form of Jesus of Nazareth. And we killed Him, yet He is alive today. Luke 21 tells us that his disciples are going to go in front of Jewish leaders. Paul went in front of the Sanhedrin and bared witness. That he was going to go in front of governors. He went in front of two of them, Felix and Festus. 
that you're going to bear witness in front of kings. He's sitting there bearing witness of Jesus Christ in front of King Agrippa. And he's en route to Caesar. Do you think God had a plan? Do you think God was in control of this the entire time? The king had the same knowledge that Paul had. You know these prophets. You know about this Messiah that we've been waiting for. Well, he's come. And all Paul can do is just bear witness to that. We have to trust that the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to increase any of their faith. And he looks into the crowd and he says, Do you think that you can persuade me, a king, in such short time? And Paul looks at him and says, Long or short, you and everyone else that can hear Yes, I want you to know as I know. I want you to believe as I believe. I want you to be free as I am free, but without these chains. You see, Paul's a prisoner in front of these free men. But Paul's the only one that's free in that room through the blood of Jesus Christ. These men that think that they're free Paul is sitting there going, and you're the ones that are in bondage. You're the ones that have the chains, the anvil around your neck by this law that you're trying to abide by. And you can't do it by yourself. It has to be through Jesus. And He's the one that will set you free. So you don't have to be in bondage. You don't have to be a prisoner. But you can come and be a free man like I am. Don't let these chains fool you. I'm free through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's this story. That's what he's telling them. He's sharing his story about the road to Damascus. And he's pointing all glory and all power and all authority and all freedom is through Jesus Christ. And so what do we take away from a story like this? Well, we see our assignment. We've been set free so we can go and share that freedom with other people. We've been sent To go and tell the story of Jesus in our own road to Damascus. We have an opportunity to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with those that are in our neighborhood, our, our friends, those that we work with. God has placed someone in your life, like a Felix, that kept coming back and wants to have conversations about Jesus. Your job is not to save them. Your job is to present the good news of Jesus Christ to them. And let the Holy Spirit bring them to faith. But some of us in the room this morning are probably sitting there going, but I've been sent on a detour like Paul. Two years. Paul didn't think he was going to be in prison for two years. He thought he was going to Rome tomorrow. After the, after the Lord said, hey, and now you're going to Rome. I'm pretty sure he thought, well, I'm probably going to Rome pretty soon. Probably didn't think it was going to be a two-year detour. Paul didn't get caught up in the detour. Paul looked at every opportunity and every situation that he was given and says, this is an opportunity for me to, to tell, to bear witness of who Jesus is. But some of us in here, we feel like we're on a detour. We feel like I'm not at the right place. I'm not good enough. I need to get better. I need to be healthier. I need to have more wealth. I need whatever. And you're thinking, my detour, this, is, this isn't what God had planned for me. It's a detour, and, and God's going to eventually get me back on track. No, God has you where you are. He's a sovereign and good and loving God. And He doesn't miss any details of any of your lives, any of my lives. He knows exactly where you are, and He's put you there so that you can lean on Him. 
Paul came to that conclusion over and over again. He says, even if death is part of God's will in this story, then I'm okay with that. That we would be men and women and children that would look at our situation and say, all right, God has me where he has me for a reason. Where can I bear witness of who Jesus Christ is? Do not let your detour be what puts you in bondage. Don't let that be what captivates you or captures you to where you feel like I can't share who Jesus is because I got too much junk going on. That's not true. God can use you right where you are if you want to be used. That we might just be obedient to God's word in all of this. A prisoner is someone who does not know that they can be free in Christ. And a free man rejoices in their situation and sees Christ leading their life and desires to share wherever they go. Who here are prisoners and who here are free? We take, we come to the Lord's Supper for those reasons so that we can celebrate what Jesus has done to set us free. So let us prepare our hearts for that moment this morning. Pray with me. Jesus, we love you so much, and we're so thankful for your word, God. We're so thankful for how you set us free through your word, and it does not return void, God. That you plant, that we plant seeds and you grow. Lord, you bring faith through the Holy Spirit to attract and to uh, capture the hearts of men, women, and children for your glory. This is all about you, Jesus, not about Paul, not about our story. Our story is your story, God. Use it, please, Jesus, use it to grow your kingdom, to grow people close to your heart. Capture those that are far away from you. God, that we may be people like Paul that desire to be used to bear witness of who Jesus is and that we can be set free through the truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.